0: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad?
1: Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Welcome to Dietetics After Dark, your source for food-related crime, scandal, and fraud. Hi, Sarah.
0: Hey, Becca. How are you doing on this lovely Monday? I'm doing all right. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) Same boat. I feel like these first few days of January have been slow slow and steady.
1: (laughs) A little blurry. I couldn't believe because New Year's was on Thursday night and then Friday was January 1st. Mm -hmm. Saturday felt so like a Monday. I was just so confused. Everything was like a blur. It was it was kind of nice. Same. I was actually working on this episode on
0: Saturday evening and then Dan was like, oh, SNL is on tonight. and I was like, wait, what day is it? (laughs) What? Yeah, (laughs)
1: totally. Yeah.
0: So if you haven't caught on already, we're recording this one a little bit ahead of time
1: mm-hmm.
0: getting ahead of the game prepping for the school year i was gonna say that's because we start our program on january 19th again countdown is on gonna be wild times
1: <laughs> what else have you been up to
0: um i feel like a lot of walks a lot of yoga i got a new nice. office chair Ooh, this one squeaks less what
1: kind um oh I, very nice it's
0: from wayfair
1: nice mm-hmm. Yeah. I would absolutely love a standing desk. Yeah. Dan actually just got one. Oh, does he love it?
0: It hasn't arrived yet, but I think it's supposed to come this week. So I'm slowly, slowly taking over his office space.
1: (laughs) Nice. <laughs> yeah. As someone who's sitting for like 10 plus hours a day on my computer, mm-hmm. I would love a standing desk. I think I could, it would improve my life and my posture.
0: Yeah. I have, I have one of those ball chairs, which I think you've seen me bouncing on,
1: yeah. on during class, but I really do like it. But it helps. It
0: It helps you engage your core, which is part of why I okay. like it, but also part of mm-hmm. why I don't like it because you have to sit up straight mm. and support yourself versus... Totally. Right now, just lounging in this this chair.
1: Right. Okay. Okay. But it's nice to have that option.
0: Mm-hmm. It Versus is. Versus just
1: straight lounging all day.
0: hmm And I, I mean, enough about chairs.
1: <laughs> Today is a big episode. I know. I'm super excited about it. I think you're going to love my part of the story, and I think I'm going to love your part of the story, too. I
0: think you will, too. And for those of you who haven't yet read the title of the episode, we are covering... A little bit of information about McDonald's and mm-hmm. the infamous Liebeck versus McDonald's case, which is a hot coffee case. Ooh,
1: mm-hmm. I know nothing. You told me not to research it and I listened. Good. <laughs> so you're really, I'm excited. Very <laughs> excited. Should we start? Yeah, let's dive in. Let's do it. The information in this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're interested in medical nutrition therapy or personalized nutrition advice, please talk to a registered dietitian in your area. All the citations and relevant links for anything mentioned in this episode will be in our show notes. This podcast may contain coarse language, mature subject matter, and content of a violent or disturbing nature. Listener discretion is advised. I'm going to start off by telling you all about McDonald's and how a little hot dog stand in California became an international institution of hamburgers, fries, and efficiency. So, McDonald's is the largest fast food chain in the world by revenue. Remember, Subway is actually the largest fast food chain in the world by locations, Mm -hmm. but McDonald's isn't that far behind. McDonald's serves over 69 million customers every single day which is Wild. crazy. Uh-huh. Canada times two every single day wow. in nearly 120 countries and in nearly 40,000 locations as of 2018. Mind-boggling numbers. As of 2015, McDonald's was also the world's fourth largest employer with over 1.9 million employees. They were narrowly beaten by Walmart, who has 2.1 million employees. Is that number one for employers? No, that's number three. Number... One is the U.S. Department of Defense has 3.2 million employees, which is crazy. And the second largest employer is the People's Liberation Army in China at 2.3 million. That's very interesting. So two armies (laughs) and then... Then Walmart and McDonald's. Walmart and McDonald's. (laughs) Yeah, pretty interesting. So McDonald's is an absolutely massive company one of the most recognizable and profitable brands of all time, and it's been around for over 60 years. So I got most of this information from a really well-written article in Smithsonian Magazine by Lisa Napoli. So if you want to check that out, go give it a read. It'll be in our show notes. And we're going to start by going all the way back to 1937 in Monrovia, California. Where brothers Maurice, who everyone called Mac, Mm -hmm. and Dick McDonald are feeling a bit down on their luck. They moved to L.A. to pursue a life of acting, but found themselves unable to land the big roles that they dreamed of. And instead, they were working hauling sets for Columbia Movie Studios. Eventually, they scraped together enough cash to buy a small theater, and they started screening films themselves... But they quickly realized that the guy with the root beer stand was making more money than they were. So they sold the theater and they bought a little hot dog stand near a flying field, which is where spectators and families would come and watch planes fly. Hmm. And they called it the Air Dome and they sold orange drink and hot dogs.
0: Very cute.
1: (laughs) Very cute. Hold on. Quick aside. This guy's name is Mac McDonald. Mac McDonald. Love it. And Dick McDonald. Now, Mac and Dick were successful at the hot dog stand, but they felt that there was something more they could do. And around this time, this is like the mid-1940s, cars were becoming a household commodity. So Mac and Dick wanted to start a restaurant that appealed to drivers, where people could pop in for a bite to eat while they were out for a drive. And so they ended up getting a place in downtown San Bernardino in California, and they called it McDonald's Barbecue. Now, most quick service restaurants of this time, this is the 1940s, remember, mm-hmm. were called car hops and cars would just enter the parking lots and a young woman would, would come out and take your order and bring your food right out to your car.
0: Was that in rollerblades?
1: Could have been. I feel like I've seen pictures. Not at this McDonald's, but I think A&W did Roller rollerblades. Blades. Yeah. So cute. For speedy, for, for speedy service. <laughs> So business was going really well for McDonald's barbecue, but Mac and Dick knew that they could achieve something greater, and they especially wanted to move away from the whole car hop situation because they felt that it was just a waste of time and labor resources. And so they actually made the bold decision to shut down McDonald's barbecue for a bit while they took some time to figure out what direction they wanted to take with the business. So drawing inspiration from Ford's Model T assembly line business model, which was like super high efficiency, Mm -hmm. Mac and Dick wanted to become as efficient as possible. So they made the decision to slash the menu from 25 items to nine items, and they completely got rid of all the expensive barbecue options. They got one of their inventive friends to make them a machine that squirted ketchup and mustard and a press that allowed them to make burgers more quickly. and notably. They purchased eight state-of-the-art milkshake mixers. And a major part of the brothers' new vision for their restaurant was that customers were not allowed to ask for substitutions. So they were getting the food as it was prepared, no matter what. Mm. And they created an assembly line of workers that could get the food order to the customer in 20 seconds or less. And they also I know that's so fast. And they also got rid of the car hop style waitresses so that customers actually had to walk inside to place their food order because apparently the brothers thought that female employers were a distraction from efficiency. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Get them out of here. (laughs) It's ridiculous. So all of these cuts to labor and improvements in efficiency meant that the brothers were able to drastically reduce the price of their food. In 1948, it was 15 cents for a burger, 10 cents for fries, and 20 cents for a milkshake. What is that in today's money? Do you know?
0: I do not know. I didn't look it up. I was just going to say, I wonder if that's similar to what the prices actually are today.
1: I don't know. That's a good question. Future editing Sarah here. $0.45 USD in 1948 is equivalent to $5.07 USD today, which is approximately $6.46 in Canadian dollars. Now, today in Ontario, Canada, a quarter pounder with cheese, small fries, and a small milkshake will cost you $12.07 plus tax, which means relative to today's prices, this was actually a pretty dang good deal. Okay, so when Mac and Dick reopened, they dropped the barbecue from the name and they officially became McDonald's. And at first, people did not like all the changes that they'd made. They wanted to be able to customize their food choices and they certainly didn't want to have to get out of their cars and walk inside and place their own orders. But within four months, hungry patrons crowded the counters and the McDonald's brothers found great success once again and soon they were rolling around town in their brand new Cadillacs. Mm, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, though, the burgers were just fine. They weren't groundbreakingly delicious, but they were quick and they were easy. But the fries, on the other hand, were exceptional. Mac had put his heart and soul and chemistry knowledge to the test, and he found the perfect French fry recipe, which actually included sun drying the russet potatoes in the desert heat. Wow. Wow. And it was a very lengthy process, but one that he would not compromise on.
0: That's so interesting. I honestly can't even think about McDonald's french fries without getting hungry.
1: I know. When I was writing this, I was craving McDonald's so bad. At first, it was a Big Mac, and then it was all the fries. And then like by the end of last night, when I was finalizing this script, I'm still thinking about a McFlurry. Yeah.
0: I mean, that must have been really tough for you. My, my part was all about coffee, so it wasn't <laughs> as bad, but... <laughs>
1: Yeah. Especially like, oh, looking up all the pictures and stuff. I was really, I might still get some McDonald's today. You should. Okay. So with their newfound success and their highly efficient assembly lines, Dick and Mac slowly started franchising the business, but it didn't really take off until Ray Kroc entered the picture in 1954. So Ray Kroc was actually a milkshake mixer salesman. And remember that... Dick and Mac had eight of these milkshake mixers at their McDonald's location. And so Ray Kroc had heard that there was this little restaurant called McDonald's that was using eight of his mixers. And so he went to go check it out. At this point, the McDonald's brothers had about six franchise locations. And right away, Ray Kroc was like, I want to take this nationwide.
0: Okay, quick question. Is this based on that movie movie? Or is this what that movie's based on with... This is what that movie's based with on. With Jack Frost, whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> I don't know. The actor that plays Jack Frost. Jack Nicholson?
1: No. It was Michael Keaton.
0: Yeah, it came out like two years ago or something, right? Fairly recently? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And it's based on Ray Cross. Okay.
0: Okay. That was my question. <laughs>
1: So right away, Ray Kroc believes in McDonald's. He knows he wants to take it nationwide. And so they work out a deal where the brothers get a small amount of the profits. And Kroc goes off to bring McDonald's to the people. Kroc opened his first restaurant in Chicago. And it was actually him and the designer that chose the yellow, white, red, brown color scheme that we all know. Iconic. Iconic. McDonald's grew to 102 locations by 1959, and growth from there on out was fairly steady, and Ray Kroc officially bought out the McDonald's brothers completely in 1961 for $2.000,000, which is the equivalent of $21.6 million today. Still doesn't seem like that much for McDonald's. Totally. But at the time... I did read that Ray Kroc didn't have that money, and so he had to, like, fundraise and get donors and get that amount of money to buy it from the brothers. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure it was a ton of money for what the company was worth at the time. Okay, so during the 1960s, McDonald's created their trademark Golden Arches. They birthed Ronald McDonald, the filet of fish and the Big Mac and they also opened their first international McDonald's restaurant in Richmond, British Columbia.
0: International.
1: I know. Canadian. It took McDonald's 33 years to open its first 10,000 locations, and only eight years after that to open its next 10,000. So growth was huge. And by 1997, McDonald's was opening five new restaurants every single day. And for the most part people were loving it. (laughs) But while McDonald's had enjoyed immense success over the years, they've also had their fair share of challenges. In 1990, public pressure led by a man named Phil Sokolov, a multimillionaire businessman and a cholesterol crusader, forced McDonald's to change their long perfected and beloved French fry recipe and eliminate the saturated fat laden beef tallow from their formula. Have you heard about this? I did not know
0: that. No, I didn't know that. That's really interesting.
1: So apparently there was beef tallow in the, that's how they fried the fries. Like in the grease. And in the grease, it was mostly beef tallow. And apparently it made the fries taste unbelievably delicious and crispy and golden. And like, there's this episode of Revisionist History Mm -hmm. by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called McDonald's Broke My Heart. And it is so good. And the way, like, it talks all about how Sokolov rallied and got the beef tallow taken out of French fries, and how French fries just haven't been the same since. And it's so good. You should listen to that.
0: Oh, I will. And I feel like I can relate. I made over the holidays. I made duck fat potatoes. Oh yeah, and they were just next <laughs> level in comparison to any potatoes I've ever made with olive oil.
1: Oh, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. I will I mean, apparently you can buy beef towel on Amazon, so well, maybe I'll have, have to try it. I have some
0: extra duck fat in my fridge if you want it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so Sokolov had actually experienced a heart attack himself, and he decided that the diet was the problem. Apparently he hadn't been eating very well, and he spent over $3 million of his own money running full-page newspaper ads, claiming that McDonald's was poisoning America with high cholesterol menus, and his campaign was ultimately successful. Mm. So the beef tallow was removed and fries were never the same. Over the years, McDonald's has constantly had to battle its negative public image as a place for unhealthy and highly processed food. And through the years, there have also been many individuals that have sued McDonald's for making them obese. And there were a couple instances I saw that resulted in, in small settlements, but for the most part, most of them are dismissed on the grounds that consuming McDonald's To excess is a matter of individual responsibility. Hmm. Okay, so as McDonald's expanded around the world, they've added plenty of options to meet the needs of different populations. So in Jerusalem, there are kosher McDonald's. In Arab countries, we see halal McDonald's. And the menus are adapted to whatever local consumers really want. Some of my favorite international menu options include the Chicken Maharaja Mac in India which is a riff off the classic Big Mac, and it has two chicken patties and a spicy habanero sauce. It looks delicious. Mm. The filet shrimp in Japan, which is like a patty of a bunch of shrimp, and then it's deep fried. It's kind of exactly what it sounds like. The ham and egg twisty pasta breakfast from Hong Kong, which is kind of a cute one. There's a picture if you're in my doc and you scroll down. Oh, wait, it's on the back of this is right here. It's just it's Scooby Doo pastas, like a chicken oh. broth Scooby Doo pasta with a big sausage in it and an egg? egg. Huh. It's unique breakfast. The mashed potato burger, which is also from China, which is just a burger with mashed potatoes on it, <laughs> <laughs> and two Sunday flavors that I thought were interesting. So in Germany, there's the Lipton iced tea Sunday, which I can't even really imagine what it would taste like. It's like a Lipton drizzle.
0: Okay, so it's vanilla. Classic vanilla soft serve, classic vanilla, like tea on top, tea liquid
1: and tea drizzle. It looks like caramel. Oh, that would be interesting. I would definitely try that. Yeah, and then this one sounds good to me. The apricot sundae from Turkey. Hmm. So it's like um almost looks like a marmalade on top of the soft serve. I would also try that one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Did you know McFlurries were actually invented in Canada? I did not. So they were invented in 1997 by a Canadian franchisee named Ron McLennan in New Brunswick. And they, of course, became a huge hit around the world after their launch. So some of the classic Canadian flavors that we're used to are Oreo, M&M, and Score. And around Easter, we get the Cadbury Cream Egg. But there are some other unique flavors from around the world. So these are the ones that I thought were cool. Here's an Ovaltine McFlurry in Brazil. Do you know what Ovaltine is?
0: I refresh my memory.
1: It's like a powder to make malted milk. Like it's a malty sweet powder. I think it's from like the 40s. Like I don't think anyone, I mean, I don't want to insult the Ovaltine drinkers, but I don't think anyone really drinks Ovaltine anymore. It feels like very old school, but they have an Ovaltine McFlurry.
0: Okay. I thought it, I thought it was like a supplement, like a supplemental nutrition company.
1: It's just like sugar whey and some of them have cocoa powder. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. A bubblegum marshmallow McFlurry in mm. Australia, which is called the bubblegum squash. I like it. I know. This one looks amazing. The Himalayan tea McFlurry from Singapore. There's a picture of that one. Oh, I see it. Oh, that looks so good. Doesn't it look so good? And then the waffle McFlurry from the Netherlands. That one looks good, too. It's like caramel and like hard waffles.
0: Oh, my goodness. No wonder you were so hungry when you did this. I know. This is very difficult. Looking at these products.
1: <laughs> that Himalayan tea McFlurry got me. I was like, I think I need to get one of these. <laughs> and then a fun fact is that there's actually a mixed ski through drive through on a ski hill in Sweden. So you can literally like ski up to a window and get your McDonald's your and then ski tea. away.
0: Oh, that's so cute. is cute? Yeah.
1: And that is all
0: my McDonald's information. Wow, that was great. And a great segue into what I'm going to be talking about. I'm very proud of us Canadians for bringing the McFlurry to life.
1: Okay, but how inventive was it if the blizzard already existed from Dairy Queen? Uh, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) They even named it like a winter snowstorm name.
0: Where was the blizzard invented? Was that in the
1: U.S.? That I did not look up. Fact check. Future editing Sarah here. The blizzard was invented in 1940 in Juliet, Illinois in the United States. By Samuel J. Temperato, which really makes the Canadian invention of the McFlurry nearly 50 years later much less impressive. I hope that was Canada, too. Me,
0: too. We also have Hawaiian pizza. We invented that? Pretty sure. I'm like 99.9% sure that it was invented in Canada. Hawaiian pizza was, in fact, created in Chatham, Ontario, Canada by a man named Sam Panopoulos. Him and his two brothers emigrated to Canada from Greece in 1954. They own several restaurants in Chatham and began adding canned pineapple to their pizza in 1962. Which is shocking because we don't grow pineapples and pizza is not like our national food cuisine. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Do you like Hawaiian pizza? No. You don't? Oh my goodness, I really love it. It's mine and Jeff's favorite.
0: I ju- there's something about the pineapple. Like, Well, that's the best part. That's why I don't like it. So as I mentioned, I am going to be covering the Liebeck versus McDonald's case. And I do apologize if I say Liebeck instead of Liebeck throughout this because it's spelt Liebeck, but it's pronounced <laughs> Liebeck like like it would be pronounced in French. Okay. So I might mispronounce Apology it. Apology accepted. <laughs> Okay, so this is one of the most talked about and misunderstood cases in recent history. It's been cited in the news. It has set a legal precedent for product liability cases and has been used as a pop culture reference for almost two decades now. And before I started my research, my perception of this case was a little bit different than it is now. Ooh! So the details to this story are so fascinating and so upsetting. And it's a perfect example of how the food industry and media twisted something to make it clickbait that favored large corporations over their victims. So the main sources that I used include a mini retro report documentary by the New York Times, um, some legal proceeding documents, and various news reports, all of which you can find in the show notes. And if you do have the time, this little retro report done by the New York Times is really great. It's, I think, 12, 13 minutes long, and there's interviews with her family and just a lot of like really informed people like the lawyers and stuff like that so it's it was a great great resource awesome Mm -hmm. but to start you really cannot tell this libeck story without first talking about another case which is big b versus pacific telephone and telegraph co have you heard of this
1: one no definitely not
0: (laughs) Okay, so this one has nothing to do with food or drink, which might be why you haven't heard of it, but it is one of the first large lawsuits of its kind, and it definitely deserves a mention here. So after midnight on November 2nd, 1974, a man by the name of Charles Bigby was making a phone call from a phone booth on the side of a street in Inglewood, California. All of a sudden, he sees a car coming directly for him in the phone booth, and he tries to get out, but the door is jammed. Trapping him inside. Ultimately, he is run over by the car, which we later find out was driven by a drunk driver. So, Bigby suffered many serious injuries, including having to have one of his injured legs amputated. And his other leg had to be put in like a leg brace, and he was in a wheelchair for a while. So, it was very serious. Wow. And he previously worked as a custodian for the city of Los Angeles, but his insurance policy didn't cover all of the medical expenses, leaving him with a lot of debt and the inability to work while he was recovering. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. And he was able to return to work eventually, but it was at a limited part-time capacity. So essentially, his quality of life was diminished after this. So, uh, Bigby decided to take legal action against the drunk driver, the establishments that overserved her alcohol that night, as well as the companies responsible for the location, installation, design, and maintenance of the phone booth that he was struck in. Throughout the investigation, Bigby's lawyer discovered that the same phone booth had to be replaced just two years before his accident because it was hit and destroyed by another driver meaning that it was placed in a high-risk, like a known high-risk location, and there was no guardrail added or no warning sign to warn users of it the danger. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it had also been installed with a faulty door. So it was just essentially just a recipe for a disaster.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And Bigby ended up with a $25,000 settlement, half of which was paid out by the drunk driver, and then the other half was kind of a mixture of the establishments that overserved her, as well as the, the phone company.
1: I feel like he should have gotten a lot
0: more. Yes. Personally. I also agree. But this was also 1974, and I should have looked up what that is in today's money, but I'm assuming it's a little I more. I still
1: don't think it would have been enough to... Uh, considering this could have been prevented with a working door and maybe a guardrail mm-hmm. and uh, responsible serving.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's not even a... Year salary for a lot of people i know yeah okay yeah so I, it's actually what happened after this settlement that's even more disturbing than the outcome mm. of the settlement itself but it is what connects this story to the lee mcdonald's case so bigby was moving on with his life when in 1986 so 12 years after the accident president ronald reagan mentioned his case in a speech on tort reform um, now I'm just going to quickly pause here and read you a Wikipedia definition on tort, which okay. is a legal term. So a tort is a civil wrong that causes a claimant to suffer loss or harm, resulting in legal liability for the person who commits the torturous act. It can hmm. include intentional infliction of emotional distress, negligence, financial losses, injuries, invasion of privacy, and many other things.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: So Reagan was an advocate for. Tort reform, which in the case of a personal injury lawsuit would limit a plaintiff's ability to recover compensation. So they're essentially saying that he even received too much compensation. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And some of the reasoning behind tort reform is that these types of lawsuits can lead to things like higher product costs or the loss of jobs if a company has to pay out a large settlement. So, not necessarily. For like a phone booth company, but in terms of like food and drink, it might result in higher product costs. Right. They also argue that a lot of the corporate payouts end up going to the plaintiff's lawyers rather than the plaintiffs themselves. So tort reform is set out to essentially limit the amount that plaintiffs can receive in a personal injury lawsuit. Okay. And um, Reagan referred to Bigby's case as being loony. And that the tort system was out of control. So he was misleading because the public. Because he
1: had gotten so much money. So
0: much money, yes.
1: <laughs> For a terrible thing that happened to him. hmm Okay. And this misled
0: the public just about what the, the case was about and essentially made a bit of a mockery about it. And this was one of the first cases that received this type of media attention, misconstruing the victim as some type of opportunist.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So the facts weren't taken into consideration properly. Is the bottom line. It's a bummer. Mm-hmm. So how does this relate to a coffee case that took place in a different state almost a decade later? So the Leback versus McDonald's case is similar in the way that it was misrepresented by influential people, media networks, and later in popular culture. Both cases hmm. focus on negligence resulting in injury, and the details of the Lebeck case were equally as botched when reshared, yet the reach was even greater with this one.
1: Right. Okay. So then, I guess I'll admit right now that I've only heard about this case in the capacity of like a joke. Yeah. Like making fun of the person who would sue McDonald's for spilt hot coffee. Like, duh, coffee's hot.
0: Yeah, it's so it's so ingrained in pop culture to make fun of this case. It's it's ridiculous. And I I mentioned Mm. a little bit later on some of the areas where it has been mentioned, and there's been whole TV episodes. Songs based on this case, essentially making a mockery of it. Uh huh. Okay. Let's get into it. In 1992, Stella Liebeck was a 70 year old widow. She had recently moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico to be closer to her daughter, Judy Allen. Stella had previously worked as a department store clerk, but had recently left her job to move to Albuquerque. So in February of 1992, so it's February 7th, Stella and her grandson visited the McDonald's drive-thru for breakfast and coffee in Albuquerque. Her grandson drove what was called a Ford Probe. I don't think they make them anymore. And this car, it didn't have cup holders. So when they pulled into the McDonald's parking lot to have their breakfast, Liebeck put her coffee between her legs to hold it. So she went to take the lid off to let it cool, but the cup spilled and hot coffee soaked the cotton sweatsuit that she was wearing and also pooled in her seat. Mm -hmm. So she was in so much pain that she ended up going into shock and her grandson rushed her to the hospital. Wow. It was later found that 16% of her body was covered in burns and that 6% were of the third degree. Wow. So I personally, and I don't know if you find this as well, but I get very confused when it comes to the degree of burns because it's the opposite of the degree of murder. So (laughs) I find it very confusing. But the third degree burns are the worst ones that you can get. They go through your skin, so the epidermis and the dermis, and they can also damage the underlying muscles, tendons, bones, and nerves. So 6% Mm -hmm. of her body had these third degree burns on them. That is wild. Mm -hmm. And she was in the hospital for uh, just over a week, receiving treatment that included multiple skin grafts. Her medical bills totaled over $10,000, which I looked this up in today's money is over 18,000 USD. Mm. And the burns were honestly so terrible. I I Googled them and I would not recommend that you do so unless you're still on the side of McDonald's right now. Because these I will pictures, not Google them. Don't, don't Google them. They'll I'll change take your, your mind word for it. They'll change your mind immediately. It's so upsetting.
1: Hmm. Also, the location of the burns, like, because she was holding the coffee between her legs, like I just feel like it's so limiting in it, it, it would be so painful to move around, to go to the washroom, to like do your daily activities of life.
0: Yeah, you, you can't really escape. Like if you're sitting in it, mm-hmm. you'd have to essentially jump up and strip off your clothing as quickly as you could. and
1: Oh my God, it must have been the hottest coffee of all time.
0: I'll get to that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, so following the incident, Stella contacted McDonald's asking them to check the temperature at which they serve their coffee at and asking if they would reimburse her medical bills. McDonald's Mm. replied offering Lee back a total of $800 to cover her bills. $800. Not enough. Mm Mm-hmm. The Leeback family hired a lawyer after this, and they tried to settle out of court twice, but McDonald's refused, showing that they clearly wanted the case to go to court, thinking that they had wow. a case to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at the time, McDonald's served their coffee between 180 and 190 degrees Fahrenheit, which according to the burn expert at trial, is hot enough to cause third degree burns if in contact with the skin for over 15 seconds. Wow. So Liebeck's team suggested lowering coffee temperatures to 160 degrees where the amount of time to cause a third degree burn increases to 20 seconds. So just giving people a little bit of extra time if they get it on their clothing, essentially to to deal with the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. Because had she got it on her skin, like maybe on her hand or something, it may Mm -hmm. not have been as bad as it was because she she was stuck in it in her clothing.
1: Right. Because it soaked her sweatsuit.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And at the time, this was the temperature, the same temperature that most establishments serve their coffee at. So between 180 and 190. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was industry standard. And according to them, so McDonald's, it was the ideal temperature for their coffee to be at for both flavor and longevity.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Between 1982 and the time that Liebeck's incident took place, over 700 people had made burn claims against McDonald's coffee.
1: Wow. That's a lot of people. That's a ton of people. Mm -hmm.
0: 700 people, including infants and children.
1: No. Who had also been
0: scolded by the coffee. Scalded. Scalded. The coffee yelled at them. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Okay. Some of these individuals were hospitalized. Some needed skin grafts, and some received settlements from McDonald's. But none of these stories gained as much traction in the news as Liebeck's case. McDonald's claimed that of every 24 million cups of coffee served, only one burn is reported, which they deemed to be statistically insignificant in court. McDonald's lawyers also stated that Liebeck had personal responsibility over her injuries since she was the one to spill it on herself. But Liebeck never said that McDonald's was responsible for the spilled coffee. Her claim was that they were responsible for the serving temperature of their coffee. And I mean, mm-hmm. if it's causing third degree burns, I'm 100% with her on that. Totally. So it should be noted that Stella, who was in her 80s at this point, had never tried to sue anyone in her life before this incident so it's not like she's been like looking for the yeah the person to sue that's going to get her a really good settlement mm-hmm. uh the jury was given the information in its entirety and they were shown the images of the burns throughout the case and on august 18th 1994 after seven days of testimony and only four hours of deliberation the jury reached a verdict they awarded her with $2.8 million in damages, $160,000 in compensatory damages, and $2.7 million in punitive damages.
1: Wow. <gasps> mm-hmm. I'm happy. Yeah. So
0: far. Oh. You can, yeah. Be happy now. It's not <laughs> Have as your good moments. as it sounds. Have it. Yeah. We're <laughs> okay. So the jury did want to send a message to McDonald's that while the damages may not be statistically significant, they are still injuring human beings and mm. they came up with this number so the almost three million dollar number since that's the amount that mcdonald's makes in two days worth of coffee sales mm. which is a lot yeah so despite this decision the judge reduced the total amount so the to- right. total compensation to six hundred and forty thousand dollars but then the parties settled out of court for an undisclosed amount under six hundred thousand dollars In uh, that little documentary that I was watching, an unknown source claimed that um, she ended up getting less than $500,000. Wow. But this story became essentially a game of broken telephone when it hit the news. So headlines were using this as clickbait and details were left out. And nowhere did they actually show the images of her burns. Because I feel like had they done that, it would have stopped people in their tracks from making light of the situation. Right. So some news reports claim that she was driving with the coffee between her legs, which is untrue. And Mm -hmm. others claim that she received $3 million, which she didn't. So it just made Mm -hmm. it kind of this glamorized, not glamorized, but like $3 million is glamorized. Um, But it just falsified the story.
1: Yeah, they made it seem like there was more fault on Stella's behalf. And like she got way more money than she did. Yeah,
0: but yeah, they're not reading... facts of the case. And I feel like just like in today's world with alternative facts, the media kind of made up their their own story about what happened.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And um, just a quick aside here. I was telling Dan that I was doing this case and uh, we were talking about it and he suggested that I look into something that he had seen on TikTok saying that Hmm. Burger King, who acquired Tim Hortons, had changed Mm -hmm. Tim Hortons coffee and that McDonald's now serves Tim Hortons coffee. He was like, oh, I think that would be interesting for you to talk about. And I feel like us as Canadians, we know how much we love our Tim Hortons coffee. So I was, important. yeah, I was like excited to like share this story and a little bit outraged, but I Googled <laughs> it and I found out that it was completely fake. Oh, like the story on okay. TikTok was completely falsified, but it had
1: like millions of hundreds of thousands to millions of views. So McDonald's or Burger King are not serving Tim Hortons. No, it was just a fake,
0: just disregard
1: I even just said that. Just a straight up fake story. <laughs> it's
0: just a fake story. But I'm okay. just like trying to make the point here that there are people with large platforms who will say or do almost anything for, for views, likes, and website traffic. So we as consumers do wow. have to be super careful, especially on TikTok.
1: That's interesting. Because
0: I even took this info as as fact before looking into it.
1: Totally. Mm-hmm. I was like, why would McDonald's be serving Tim Hortons coffee? Right. I didn't know how to feel. <laughs> <laughs> I felt very sad at first. It's like, just <laughs> let us have our like, coffee. As lo- but as long as Tim Hortons is still serving Tim Hortons coffee, I don't see that. Like, let's spread it far and wide. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. I
0: agree with that. Okay. So, following the case and subsequent news coverage, an organization called Contract with America put together what was called the Common Sense Legal Reform Act. So, they used Liebeck's coffee spill case to demonstrate the need for tort reform and claimed that product liability cases needed more regulation and limits set on damages. So kind of like what we're talking about before with Reagan. In 1996, the group presented this bill to President Clinton, who ended up vetoing the decision, stating that, any legislation must fairly balance the interests of consumers with those of manufacturers and sellers. This type of act would almost promote the sale of defective products and would disadvantage families that are injured. So unfortunately, Stella Liebag passed away on August 5th, 2004, at the age of 91. Her daughter was interviewed saying that her last couple of years were pretty stressful just with all of the, the news coverage, and that she had a fairly low quality of life. Uh, the amount that she did receive helped cover the cost of a nurse in her last few years, um, and it's it's just super sad how one woman's fight for what she thought was right kind of ended mm-hmm. this way. She was yep. clearly a victim, and she was portrayed as a, as a villain.
1: It's really sad.
0: It is really sad, for sure. In this case, has been mentioned, like you said, it's just all over the place in multiple late night talk shows, yeah. in other shows like mm-hmm. Futurama, even even Seinfeld did an episode where uh, Kramer trips onto somebody drinking hot coffee in a movie theater and he tries to sue. And in the show, his lawyer says, if you get me one coffee drinker on that jury, you're going to walk out of here a rich man. So they're clearly just poking fun at the case. Right. Um, and then again, in that New York Times uh, documentary, Liebeck's daughter is interviewed saying that she used to love Toby Keith the country singer. Mm -hmm. And then he mentioned her mom in the song American Ride with the lyrics, spill a cup of coffee, make a million dollars. Oh, no. So it's just like, it's a case that I feel like so few people know much about, yet it's misrepresented so much in pop culture.
1: It is. And at face value, like when it's referred to so flippantly and like at a surface level, it is kind of funny. Like it's Mm -hmm. not, not, now that I know it's not funny at all, it's actually really sad. But when the idea of someone winning a million dollars because their coffee spilled on them and it was hot in itself is funny. Because like, duh, coffee's hot. But this is not at all what happened.
0: Yeah. And I I think part of the humor in it is that we've we've all spilled coffee at some point. Any coffee drinker has definitely spilled their coffee at some point. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it's a little bit humorous to us, because imagine making $3 million spilling coffee. Dream. It's the dream.
1: But not a dream when you're <laughs> getting third-degree burns on a sweet little coffee breakfast date with your grandson. Mm-hmm. Is this why all trucks have cup holders now? <laughs> it actually is. Stop. Yes. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, yeah, it
0: impacted um, It impacted the <laughs> automobile industry to, to make cup holders more of a priority.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a small silver lining.
0: It is for sure. Okay, so one thing that is discussed way less in Mm. all of the discussions around this case is the fact that even after numerous burn cases and settlements that add up to more than half a million dollars other than Liebeck's case, so that's half a million dollars in other cases, it is still McDonald's policy to serve their coffee at 185 degrees plus or minus five degrees. And I Mm. should make note that I received this number from a Cambridge News article from 2007 where a young boy Mm -hmm. was burned by the same McDonald's coffee. And I couldn't find a credible source or anything from McDonald's themselves stating what their brewing or serving temperatures are, which made me very curious. And (laughs) this morning, I decided to drive to McDonald's.
1: (laughs) And I brought... Investigative journalism. Yes. (laughs) So I drove to
0: McDonald's with three meat thermometers. (laughs) And I ordered a small coffee and I took Mm -hmm. the coffee to the parking lot. So as soon as I I got it from the drive-thru, I I brought it to the parking lot and I received two readings for 169 degrees Fahrenheit and one reading for 178 degrees. So I'm thinking that that one thermometer may have been faulty, but Mm. two of the three said that it was 169 degrees Fahrenheit which is still wow. super hot. And if you remember what I, I did mention earlier, the burn expert in Liebeck's trial stated that coffee at 160 degrees can cause third degree burns in 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. So that was hotter than that. So had I spilled wow. that on myself and not being able to get my clothes off within 20 seconds, yeah. I might have third degree burns, which is crazy to think.
1: I love that you did that. <laughs> you retraced the steps of Stella Liebeck It was just really frustrating me
0: because I couldn't find one temperature that was consistent across the board. Every website said something different. So I was like, I'll just go figure it out
1: myself. That's awesome.
0: Okay. And I feel like in order to kind of just like put this into perspective, I also wanted to look up what the optimal drinking temperature for coffee is. Yes. Can you take a guess?
1: Okay. So yeah, sure. I'll guess like 150 or something because I don't want to drink my coffee if it's going to burn my tongue. No. Definitely not. That's why I always, I love adding milk to my coffee so I can drink it ASAP.
0: Yeah, agree with you on that. Okay, so one study from 2008 found that the optimal drinking temperature for hot beverage beverages is 136 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's after testing okay. 300 subjects. So wow. I think 150 would likely still be drinkable just like on the hotter side. Mm-hmm. And so again, I took the temperature of my coffee. So when I got home with my McDonald's coffee, the temperature was 134 degrees and it was like the, okay. perf- it was the perfect drinking temperature. So that's about two degrees different from that study I just mentioned.
1: And you got black coffee. I
0: got black coffee and um, it probably could have been- You had to make being... sure there's
1: no confounding variables in your <laughs> little experiment.
0: No, I was tempted because I do love a little milk in my coffee, but for the sake of science, I didn't do it. <laughs> okay. So I think that it could have been- it could have been a little bit hotter than 134, but it was like a good
1: drinking temperature.
0: Okay, but again, that was also after I had sat in McDonald's parking lot with the lid open for five minutes.
1: Right, taking temperatures.
0: Yeah, and I took a video of me taking the temperatures because Dan was like, "You don't know want McDonald's like sue you for saying something." I was like, "Okay, I have to prove that I did it, <laughs> and that this is what it <laughs> sure. says." And uh, so it was after I had sat in the parking lot for five minutes, but also drove home, which took me another like five to seven minutes.
1: Mm. So
0: why are they serving coffee at an undrinkable temperature is my question.
1: Yeah. What's the logic? I guess they're thinking that people go, people aren't having it right away. Like you get your coffee with your meal and then you have it maybe after your meal, it's cooled down or you're getting it in the drive-thru and you're driving somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I know how I order coffee and I order coffee with the intent to sip it Right away.
0: Yeah, while you're driving or while you're sitting in in the seat. While I'm
1: studying, while I'm driving, while I'm reading, while I'm whatever. Like, I'm I'm ready to drink it. I don't need it to be 180 to 190 degrees Fahrenheit and then wait half an hour for it to get to a drinkable temperature.
0: Exactly. And I did read somewhere that did say that that's kind of the justification behind it is that people usually take a couple minutes to get to the location where they plan on drinking the coffee. But I'm with you. I normally have a sip Mm -hmm. right away. Yeah, McDonald's also claims that consumers want their coffee hot, like really hot. But Mm -hmm. again, nobody actually wants to burn their tongue. And I I was so tempted. I was so, so tempted to just take the coffee and have a sip of it immediately just to see what would happen.
1: Just to get a third degree burn. (laughs) But like,
0: it's outrageous, right? Yeah. It is kind of outrageous. they serve it that hot. Anyways, there's a podcast. It's called The Swindled Podcast, and they do an excellent job also covering this case. And um, in their research, they found that McDonald's actually calculated the losses in lowering their serving temperatures because Mm. coffee held at 190 degrees has a longer shelf life than coffee at 160 degrees, which is what the court case was kind of fighting, not fighting for, but what they had mentioned in the court case. Right. Uh, so, they essentially found that it would be less expensive to resolve all these burn cases than to lose the coffee held at a lower temperature, if that makes sense.
1: So, it's more cost effective to settle cases where humans burn their skin
0: mm-hmm.
1: on coffee than it is to have to throw out batches of coffee that are going, they don't have as long of a shelf life. Correct just to clarify. Okay. Uh, very good.
0: Hope that clarifies it for you.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know.
0: It is it is pretty shocking. And I, I honestly, I do think that everybody listening should, should watch that little documentary that I've mentioned like a thousand times because they do interview some of the lawyers and it is shocking to see like what some of the, just what some of the things that McDonald's brought up in this case. It just kind of dehumanizes the consumers. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So at the time, one of the reasons Liebeck won the court case was that McDonald's did not inform the consumer of the burn risk associated with their coffee. So following mm. the case, McDonald's and almost all other establishments that serve coffee placed a caution contents hot label on their hot liquid products. So Mm -hmm. coffee serving establishments also developed some other safety measures, such as the cardboard sleeves to protect your hands and the smart libs with the flaps over them. Right. And it seems like they almost did everything but actually reduce the temperature of their beverages. And as you said, or as you like brought up earlier, it even influenced the the auto industry in requiring cup holders in, I'm pretty sure, all vehicles at this point.
1: Wow. Uh That's so interesting.
0: Yes. And one other really interesting thing that came out of this case uh, is that the Liebeck versus McDonald's case is now often used as a test for juror selection.
1: Oh. Yes. Oh.
0: So they'll see, they'll essentially test jurors to see if they will listen to the facts presented on a case or stick oh. to what they have previously heard in the news. Oh. So this, I, I did read that in a couple um, sources that I came across, but I found this little multiple choice test online that allows you to be a juror in the case and it essentially tells you what would have happened had you made the final decision in the case just wow. based on the facts and it's really interesting because if you if you don't read the questions you might not get the answer right like you might not just you might not be just if you know what I mean got it so I don't know leg- the legitimacy of this test but I thought it was like super interesting um, just to kind of and it's only six totally. questions, so I can, I can send you the link and you can test it out.
1: Just to see how good you are at remaining unbiased yeah. or like looking at the facts objectively. That is
0: so cool. Exactly. So it's kind of used as like a, a litmus test.
1: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. I feel like the label that should be on McDonald's coffee is caution. Contents may cause third degree burns.
0: Yeah. No, I agree because with you on
1: that. Hot is ambiguous. I have never thought about my cup of coffee spilling on me and causing like third degree burns.
0: Yeah, it's true. And it's kind of, you could say the same thing like about the labels on like cigarette packages and stuff like that. They are pretty descriptive in saying that it's a carcinogen and it may cause cancer. Like, why is mm-hmm. it not the same with a yeah, picture? Yeah, with a picture. Yeah. Wow. So to this day, McDonald's is still dealing with claims regarding their coffee. In January 2020, a woman who suffered burns from the coffee in Vernon, BC, Canada, sought $10,000 for medical expenses, lost wages, pain, and the handmade alpaca cardigan that she was wearing during the incident, which made me laugh. (laughs) Uh, So it's still happening. So they're still going to court for these things. They're still, or maybe even settling out of court. They're still, this is still happening. Wow. Yes. And ultimately, there's a fine line between corporate greed and consumer safety here. And it seems that in the Lebeck case, many people to this day still side with McDonald's for some reason. I'm not exactly sure what the reason is. However, we as consumers, we do need to look out for ourselves. So, I mean, would you personally take a sip of your hot coffee the moment that it's handed to you in the drive-thru? Because I couldn't do it. No. And like, how, how would you feel if you spilled 169 degree coffee on a family member? Awful. Yeah. So I think a lot of people would feel very differently if they had been Stella Liebeck.
1: Wow. That was awesome.
0: It's interesting, isn't it?
1: It's fascinating. It's actually really heartbreaking mm-hmm. that Stella had to deal with that in the last decade or so of her life. And like, I didn't know much about this case, but my impression was very different than the story you just told me.
0: I know. And that's how I felt from a couple days ago to now. Like it's more complex and more just
1: tragic than
0: most people realize. Mm
1: Yeah. There's a lot more nuance there, which is a theme that we keep finding in every single story. It's never as black and white as it seems. Mm
0: -mm. It's true.
1: Hmm. Ah, Good job, Becca. Thank you so much. You did great. Okay. I have a question for you to get you thinking about next week. All right. What is your favorite way to enjoy an avocado? Um, smashed on toast. Smashed on toast. Perfect. I'll say. Hold on. Hold on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) With a little bit of everything but the bagel seasoning. Uh Uh-huh. And sometimes with a poached egg on top.
1: Very good. My stomach literally just growled in response. (laughs) I can hear it. I'm not making that up, but it really growled in response to that. (laughs) I'm going to say guacamole. Classic guacamole.
0: Yeah. Can't go wrong with guac.
1: Yeah. And I just do... Smashed avocados, a little olive oil, a little lemon, salt, pep, jalapeno. That's it. Garlic. I was I'm gonna I garlic. was gonna say garlic the garlic. Garlic, duh. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So all right. I guess we'll see you next week. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Goodbye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Dietetics After Dark. You can find all the references and materials used to put this podcast together in our show notes at thenutritionjunkie.com slash dieteticsafterdark. This is an independently produced podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our show. For more information, follow us on Instagram at dieteticsafterdark. If you have an idea for an episode or segment, email us at dieteticsafterdark at gmail.com.
1: This podcast was recorded and edited by Earworm Radio. We highly recommend their services for all of your podcasting needs. You can learn more about Earworm Radio at earwormradio.com. Planning for your next trip?